Hello, and welcome to the Transformation Stories podcast. My name is Adia, and I am the host of the series. This is a series created by the Adornment Stories Collective. For Mental Health Awareness Week, we are releasing this bonus episode of the podcast. This is featuring Marwa from the Opening Doors Project. We discuss mental health, define some terminology, and really break down how it impacts the Black community. Uh, Due to the nature of the episode, I am leaving a trigger warning. We dive into some heavy topics, including police brutality. We talk about the pandemic and a lot of different things that can impact mental health. So please be mindful of your own mental journey. Uh, without further ado, let's dive into the episode. All right. Hi. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thank you for having me. Why don't we start? We can You can introduce yourself, your uh, name, and, and a little bit about what you do. Definitely. So hi, everyone. My name is Marwa. Um, I work at the Opening Doors Project, which is at CMHA Toronto, which is the Canadian Mental Health Association. Um, and I'm the curriculum and training coordinator for its amazing team that I'm part of. So we're mainly focused on public education um, and we have three goals in the project. It's mental health, equity and diversity. And our goal is to travel across Ontario and meeting up with communities and educating on topics related to mental health, anti-racism, the Ontario Human Rights Code, stress and self-care as a way to empower, educate and just build up literacy around these topics. Um, and to kind of start off, um, maybe you could tell everybody or give people a sense of how you define mental health. Well, for me, the way I define mental health in the most simplest term is a state of holistic psychological well-being. And it's something that we all have. We all have mental health. Just like we all have a state of physical health, we also have our mental health to look after. So it's not just about surviving, but it's about thriving. Right. Um, And there are many factors that can impact our mental health and well-being. So it could be our physical health can have an impact, our personal relationships and connection with others, our work life, our lifestyle habits. Um, And that's how when I define it, I always use the word holistic. because I think it's really critical to look at it from a big picture um, and look at it from like a mind, body, soul connection because all these elements are really interconnected. So to be mentally healthy, we should pay attention to mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional aspects of our lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very true. It's the connection of all those things together. So how does it differ from mental illness? So a lot of times, and very often, mental health and mental illness, they really, they're used interchangeably. um, And that causes a lot of confusion. Mm -hmm. and a lot of misunderstanding between the words. Um, And just to clarify, do they relate to each other 100%? However, they don't mean the same thing. So a phrase I like to start off with before delving into like the definition is, we all have, everyone has mental health, but not everybody has mental illness. Right. Right. So when we hear the words mental illness, um, it may stir up some feelings of very uneasiness because we don't fully understand it. Or we might have some images sort of pop up into our head of what we think or perceive mental illness to look like um, because of what the media has uh, portrayed for it. But just to get into what mental illness is, if we think about the brain, the brain is one of the most complex organs in the human body. So mental illness, it occurs when the brain, just like any other organ, such as the heart or the kidney, is not working the way it should. Mental illness is a collection of disorders such as we might have heard of depression, 
bipolar disorder, depression, and anxiety. Um, and these symptoms range from a loss of motivation and energy, changing sleeping patterns, extreme mood swing, disturbances in thought or perception, or overwhelming obsessions or fears. And when we look at mental illness, these they interfere with relationships and they impact a person's ability to function on a day-to-day -day basis. And it sometimes leads to social isolation. And a lot of the questions about mental illness that I think people are wondering is, well, where, like, what causes mental illness? Like, that's a very common question we get. It's like, well, how does someone get it? Um, one thing just to put out there as a stat, it's one in every five Canadian uh, will have some experience with mental illness in their lifetime. So when people started doing a lot of research and sort of delving into, well, where does mental illness, like what's some of the causes, they found that it's a result of an interaction of a few things, an interaction of physical, environmental and social factors. So it could be a combination of these, it could be a combination of two, so on and so forth. And just to give you an idea of what I mean by these, when we talk about physical factors, that can include um, an individual's genetic makeup, mm -hmm. which may put them at, like, at a higher risk of developing a mental illness. Um, another thing could be physical trauma, right? Um, another one could include misuse of substances, um, so on and so forth. So that's just a little look into physical. When you look at environmental factors, right, it's looking at our society, the environment we grow up in, the spaces we occupy, that can definitely impact a person's mental health and can lead to severe trauma. That can include sexual abuse, that can include war, for example, and that could also include racism. Um, and another thing is looking at social factors, right, where we live, whether we have a strong support network, right, close to family, friends, or just close ones that make, make us feel safe. Our work environment can also impact our well-being. The amount of stress people are under. So it's, it could be a combination of any of these three. Um, and one thing I really want to highlight is mental health isn't just simply the absence of a mental illness. That right. doesn't, right? Like, it doesn't mean that, okay, um, I have good mental health because I simply don't have mental illness. No. That's not what it means, right? Mental health is, I mean, you can experience stress, you can experience difficult life events, you can experience burnout. We're living in a pandemic currently, right? All of these things that you experience, um, it can sort of, on a spectrum that, like we look at mental health on a spectrum, right? And the ebbs and flows of well-being. So today you could have good mental health, but you could have, something can happen tomorrow and you can have poor mental health. So even your mental health can sway on that spectrum. Mm -hmm. So hopefully that helps clarify the difference. No, it's really good to to have that clarification, especially for folks, and, and as we're saying, yeah, like um, living through this pandemic, I think it's more important than ever for people to be aware of, of those distinctions and be aware of that spectrum uh, along mental exactly. health. Yeah, exactly. One thing that I really want to just let folks know is that um, if you're ever feeling certain things that are like you might have an event that's going on or you might be feeling some symptoms of that I mentioned earlier, whether it's um, mood swings or you're changing uh, sleeping patterns or loss of motivation or energy or just feeling of this overwhelmness. Um, a lot of times we turn to Google which is really handy at times, um, just to sort of clarify things for us. Um, but I always encourage people to don't rely on what you see on Google, because that can sometimes stray you or overwhelm you further and send you down a big rabbit hole. Uh, so whenever you are feeling, I do encourage people to definitely seek out um, safe professional help um, that can help guide them to the right resources. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You want 
you want someone who um, can help you through that process of, of, of um, if you were to get diagnosed, you'd want someone there who could help you through that process because they know the information rather than trying to diagnose yourself on the internet. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Which I mean, the internet has a lot of great stuff, but let's leave uh, diagnosing our health symptoms to uh, professionals. Um, also, they can even just help you just sort of d uh, unpack your thoughts, right? Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be a diagnosis. Maybe you're just going through a lot that it's impacting your mental health and they can really help you unpack that as well, right? So there's a lot of things that they can help with. Very true. Now, um, in this conversation of mental health, do you feel, particularly for the Black community, that it it's sort of its own conversation? 100%. Um, I think when we talk about mental health, I think mental health for all in that conversation is great. But I think to understand how various communities are impacted is really crucial and critical um, in ensuring that we provide them with equitable services. Um, but I think to understand this better, we need to first talk about what health equity is and what it, what it really means. Um, and even when we look at the word equity, that's another word uh, that often gets mistaken and used interchangeably with equality. Right. So when we think of equality, it's about treating everyone the same, right? So I like to look at it like treating everyone mathematically the same. So if I give, Addie, if I give you one apple, I'm going to ensure to give everybody else in the group one apple, right? So that's, I'm treating you all with equality. But when we Think about equity, that just sort of takes it a step further, and that's looking at justice and treating everybody with fairness and treating people according to their needs, which okay. is very critical when we talk about uh, mental health and services, because you can't treat everybody uh, the same way, because not everyone's the same. We're all different. We have different experiences. We all um, go through different traumas. So I think that's really critical to understand. So what that is. So now when we think about health equity, uh, that's just how everyone has fair and just opportunity to be healthy right mm -hmm. and what do you need for that to happen is you need to have barriers and obstacles removed um to health to what we consider optimal health right so barriers can include poverty because mm -hmm. we know poverty is tied to a lot of things housing adequate housing um a space that is free from discrimination so unfair treatment right you need to remove that barrier um and there's a lot of things access to good jobs right not it's and a lot of times when we talk about jobs it's not just having a job it's having a job that is good that's fair pay that is safe mm -hmm. benefits right uh we're looking at quality education housing and when we talk about housing it's housing that is one adequate that is located in a safe space um, where it's maintained, right? And obviously then a safe healthcare that is free from bias, which I think is really hard, but a safe healthcare system where you can go and access services and you're heard. Right. So when you talk about health equity, like where do we, where does health equity come from? Like that, it's like the pinnacle. Um, and that usually arises from access to what we call social determinants of health. So when we look at social determinants of health, it just simply is looking at the social and economic conditions in which people they grow, they're born into, they live, they work, and they age. And a lot of these circumstances and conditions, they're shaped by the distribution of money, power, and resources. And when we talk about this distribution, it's at every level. We're talking about it from a municipal level, so a local level, a national level, Canada-wide, but even on a global scale, what that looks like. So now that we talked about what health equity is, one of the social determinants of health um, that's been recognized for a long time is race. 
race has been considered to be a factor that plays into whether a person um, has access to healthcare or is that um, can, can be what we consider healthy. But what started to happen more recently, which I'm really happy about, is anti-Black racism has recently been, specifically looking at anti-Black racism, is being acknowledged as a determinant of health. Because we can talk about race, but we really need to get specific in certain communities. And so anti-Black racism has been acknowledged. um, And really, that's thanks to the hard work and advocacy of many Black Canadian communities and their allies in just recognizing specific health and social impacts of anti-Black racism in Canada. So now let's break that down now further, just connecting back to your original question. When we look at anti-Black racism, it's a system of inequity so that unjust unfairness in power, resources, and opportunities that further treats um, or or discriminates against people of African descent, Black people. Um, And this discrimination that I talk about, and I wanna be, and I actually take that back against people that are Black, that identify as being Black, Um, And when we talk about this discrimination, we have to understand that this is deeply entrenched. This isn't something that just occurred right now. This is something that is deeply entrenched and normalized in Canadian institutions, Mm -hmm. our policies, our practices. And sadly, it's become so often invisible to those who don't feel its effects. And when we look at the long history of this discrimination, it's so rooted in European colonization, right? Um, in various countries. And I mean, let's just talk about slavery. A lot of times when we have discussions on slavery, people think of the States or America, pre- predominantly the States. Mm-hmm. But slavery was legal in Canada, right? We did right. have a history of slavery here as well. That isn't just something that's left to one part of the world. We had that here as well. But there's that's part of the history that a lot of, a lot of us don't know about. And so... Even now, sadly, two centuries later from all of that history, these racist, racist ideologies, they continue to drive a lot of the processes of the stigma and discrimination that still exists. So now what you see today are a lot of Black Canadians and I'll say Black people all over the world. Um, we experience health and social inequities linked to these discriminations at multiple levels of society. So whether it's individual level, at an interpersonal level, institutional level, and even societal level, right? And a lot of these could be overt or they could be very subtle and pervasive, right? Like we know microaggressions, those everyday racism comments, mm-hmm. right? It can include racial slurs, harassment, jokes. Jokes is a big one because jokes, those things sort of get brushed under the rug and people laugh about it, but no, right? right. It's not funny. It's not funny. Um, off as a joke and exactly dismisses the the impact of it exactly right and i think it's it's like no just because your laughter doesn't dismiss the weight of what you said mm-hmm. um you know and we have other comments like oh you're pretty for a black girl mm-hmm. and then you're kind of taken aback by such comments like what does that mean really right and that's the pervasive subtle ones um but then when you look at the other levels like institutional societal levels you have and I'm going to specifically look at Canada, right? Racial profiling, carding. We have the over-policing that's happening, right? Yeah. So what do I mean? Surveillance, excessive use of force. Or we have the opposite, which is under-policing, right? So the under-responsiveness when we call for support or we call for help right. um, and the under-responsive that we receive or the complete abandonment of Black communities. And then you have the over-representation of Black people in criminal justice systems, 
in the welfare system, right? All I'm giving you right now is just highlighting a snippet. But even the snippet that I just gave, if we look at the impact of all these experiences throughout someone's lifetime, without a doubt, that can lead to immense chronic stress and trauma, which right. leads to the negative effects on someone's mental health, not just the mental health. As I talked about earlier, that holistic health that we need to look at, so the overall picture, it'll impact your mental health, your physical health, your emotional health, right? And when we talk about this, these experiences of racism in all these spaces, whether it's direct or indirect, they can have very devastating effects on the mental health of Black people. And the term that's used to coin this is racial trauma. Yes. Um, and that, right? So that's what really racial trauma is. And racial trauma can lead to depression. It can lead to chronic stress. It can lead to fatigue. It can lead to hypervigilance. It can lead to body inflammation and symptoms that are very similar to PTSD. So these are very real and we need to acknowledge and recognize the impacts on the black community as a result of the oppression that we're facing um, and the existence of anti-black racism. And I think once that is done, and I'm glad that I think as a country, um, Canada is slowly recognizing that because that then gets translated into services that we receive and hopefully start reducing some of the barriers. But I think recognizing something first validates a lot of our experiences that we've gone through. I could speak for myself. Um, when I came here at a young age, I migrated here and I learned quickly at the age of six that I was different and that I was being treated differently because of the color of my skin and the different, um, my different intersecting identities. And to learn racism at such a young age is devastating it's and as a child when you're developing right it can definitely have impacts and I could say for myself like I now that I as I get older and I'm sort of connecting and I'm connecting a lot of the trauma that I've gone through in my life I can definitely say that my anxiety that I have now is a result of that racial trauma um, and not just racial trauma, but racial trauma and the other, uh, other uh, traumas that I face because of other parts of my identity. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Thank you so much for that breakdown. That really, that really like highlights the depth and, and the layers and, and how vast um, that conversation is because, yeah, it's not only historical, but it impacts so many um, different aspects and layers of life, um, kind of as you were talking before about it, it be, you know, the different layers of being, of, of health and, and the environment that you're in, how that impacts your, your mental well-being. Um, exactly. so that's a big one for sure, for sure. 100%. I think, I think the complexity just ties into, I think when we try to look at things, people like to look at them from one perspective, one lens, yeah. and it's not that simple right? You need to understand the complexity of things. You need to look at history. You need to look at the various experiences. And one thing I really want to note, um, that when we talk about the Black community, I just want to be clear that we're not, we're not a homogenous collective, No, yeah. right? Because a lot of times what tends to happen is people get grouped um, and then, then they're all brushed with the same paintbrush, right? And it's like, that's not we shouldn't do that because that's not fair. Again, right with that equity piece that I mentioned, there's so much diversity within the Black community and just so many experiences. Um, and we need to also provide space for that because how 
various Black people experience discrimination is very different and how we respond to that situation is very different, right? And also recognizing the existence of intersectionality and the many overlapping identities in our community. So I think earlier I mentioned some of my experiences. So for me, I identify I'm a Black Muslim woman, right? So I face not only racism, but sometimes I may, because of my overlapping identity, I face experiences of Islamophobia and in spaces I experience um, sexism. So looking at how, right, and that, and we have so many examples of what that looks like in the Black community. So I think it's really uh, key for us to also shed light on that. Absolutely, absolutely. And and we could we could definitely talk for hours about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. I have to cut it yeah. there for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, based on your experience, how has the conversation around mental health changed in 2020 in particular um, for Black folks? Or has it like changed at all? Um, have you seen the conversation mm-hmm. shift? I've definitely seen a conversation shift. I will say that mental health, there was a lot of stigma around mental health, right? There was a lot of... Uh, um, negativity around it. It was a lot of hush, hush. Don't talk about it. No, that's not us. A lot of labels and 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 names associated with it. Um, so a lot of the work that we used to do, and I will say, like when I used to work in my community, a lot of the work was around how do we break the stigma, how do we break the silence, and now as we started 2020 and we were all hit with this pandemic and a lot of unfortunate things happened. One word that I've been hearing recently from my circle and echoed by other black people are tired, exhausted, emotionally drained, or just drained all over. Yeah. And if we just look at the various brutal injustices and the killing of black people while in a pandemic, which is another thing on its own, it's just been, so overwhelming. I don't even have words. <laughs> I think yeah. my words don't even describe I think the depth of what we all felt witnessing that, right? And witnessing that trauma and not just witnessing it once, but witnessing it on repeat, witnessing people dissect it, witnessing people make excuses for it, witnessing our, I, once again, not even once again, multiple times, our um, Blackness just not even being recognized and being treated less than. And so, and when we think of the experience of what happened to George Floyd, and that's just one of many, I think the instance of the knee on the neck was very symbolic to, of how countless black people have felt and experienced for centuries. And I think that in itself brought so many deep rooted emotions to the surface. And it allowed people to start allowing themselves to feel these emotions and not just feel them, but talk about them more openly. And there's just been a lot of, I think, validation and less stigma. Mm -hmm. And now our conversations are not are around genuinely asking people, how are you feeling? And letting, and we're, I find that we're talking more about, we're talking more about our feelings and we're not shying away from it. And we're accepting that. Yes, we are in a process of we've all just gone through so much trauma and we're all trying to heal. And I am, the one thing that I think I found a highlight in all this is that, like the conversations people are having. And it makes me so happy that we're allowing ourselves to feel, but also validating other people and moving away from that negativity and 
um, ideas of what we thought mental health was, right? No, we don't go through it. A lot of things that I used to hear growing up is that, no, Black people don't, we don't deal with mental health. That's for other people, right? That's not us, not here. Um, or just sort of putting it in a box and telling people to just shut their lid and keep yeah. it in another space, right? Now I feel like everyone is talking about it and not just talking about it, but I think providing safe spaces. Like I'm finding that there's so many um, safe spaces where people are able to talk about this openly and find that support. So it's, it's, it's a great, it, it happened from unfortunate situations, but, but I'm glad that, yeah, but I'm glad that we're able to talk about it and name it. Like we're not shying away from naming it anymore. Absolutely. Um, which I think is such a big step. <laughs> it's like, I think the hugest step. I used to have experiences where I couldn't even say, um, I think a community asked us, um, asked for a workshop and we weren't even, they didn't even want us to use the word mental health in the title. Wow. Like, did you, so when we talk about the stigma, like it is so deep rooted and how, and just the, how deep these ideas that people have about it um, has really created this barrier from people talking about things or just asking for help or just educating themselves. I think education is that big thing, right? It's like, how do we just educate ourselves so we know more um, so that we can then unlearn? So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy and I'm loving the shift and I am loving the unlearning that's happening and the relearning in the community. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, just wrapping up, is there any advice or takeaway resources you want folks to know about um, keep that conversation going for them. One, uh, one of my favorite quotes by Audre Lorde um, is, caring for myself is not self-indulgence, it is self-preservation, and that is not the political welfare. Um, this was my all-time favorite from, like, just for years, when we think about self-care. Um, and I liked, and I always say this around, whenever I'm around uh, Black spaces, because when you think about self-care, I think a lot of times that's, like, the last thing on our list. <laughs> Yeah. Because just life is busy, right? Our life is like just boom, boom, boom. It's just one after the other after the other. And um, and also the way that we think of self-care, right? We think of this five hours, I'm going to the spa and, and <laughs> right? This overindulgence. I wish, I wish myself right? could definitely be, right? I wish I could go to the spa for every time I need self-care, right? right? I mean, which is still good, by the way. Hey, if you want to go to the spa, please treat yourself. But that's not just what self-care is. It's not just right? It's so many different aspects um, that you could do to take care of yourself. And it could just be 10 minutes every day. And whatever that 10 minutes or half an hour that you do, it's just reminding yourself that you matter. Mm -hmm. And just recentering yourself, because things are hard, right? Mm -hmm. And that act of you just taking care of yourself, I just want to emphasize based on the quote, it's not self indulgent It's the way that we survive. It's for survival. It's how, it's how we self preserve ourselves. Right. And that, and that's why it's like, it's, it's definitely an act of warfare. And I think this quote, I think more than I think is means so much now with everything that's going on. And as we are going through so much and still going through so much, it's how do we continue to take care of ourselves in such hard times? So 
I like to think of self-care as anything that takes care of yourself, anything that you enjoy, anything that centers you. So definitely take the time to sit down with yourself and see what that looks like for you and create your own self-care journey. Um, and just take that 10 minutes every day or even more if you can, if you have the time to take care of yourself because um, we ma- you, you definitely matter. We all matter. And uh, we'll get through this together. Wow, amazing. I actually love that quote. Um, so that was perfect. Thank you so much uh, for coming you're out. Very, very welcome. Um, maybe you could tell everybody where they can reach you. Yes. Uh, so one thing I didn't mention earlier, maybe I should have during the introduction. So we offer free workshops. So we're funded by the IRCC, so the federal government. Um, and it allows us to provide free workshops to communities all across Ontario. So if you are interested in hosting a workshop for your community um, on mental health or stress or self-care or anti-racism or um, we have about six workshops, uh, definitely you can reach us out at our email, which is openingdoors at cmhato.org. And if you're just wanting to sort of be immersed with articles about things related to equity, health, diversity, so on and so forth. You can definitely follow us at our Twitter, which is at, at opening the door. Um, so give us a follow. And we're always posting things about what's happening and just connecting to um, just health equity within our communities and various topics. Thank you so much for coming out. This was really informative, as I expected, but even more so. Um, I thought <laughs> like we could go like another like hour <laughs> and dive in deeper and pick no. But, you know, exactly. we'll have to leave it there for now. Thank you so much for coming on again. And You're very welcome. Hopefully talk again soon. Definitely. Thank you. All right. That concludes our time. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to follow Adornment Stories on Instagram and Facebook at adornment.stories and head over to adornmentstories.com slash podcast for more details about the podcast. Thank you so much. Bye.